0: What are kids really thinking and feeling? Sometimes it's hard to know. The thousands of letters and emails kids send to Highlights Magazine every year help us keep our finger on the pulse of kids. We think they can also help you. So each week on this podcast, we talk with friends and experts about the things kids share with us and about making a world that honors children's voices. Lean in and listen to learn what kids want their grown-ups to know about being a kid today. I'm Christine French Cully, and you are listening to Dear Highlights.
1: Dear Highlights, I have a problem Dear Highlights. I'm not. My dad Dear Highlights. at night, and I miss my own I get keys. I Dear, Dear Highlights. Highlights, Dear Highlights.
0: The majority of letters we at Highlights receive from kids are about the normal ups and downs of childhood. They write to us most often, for example, about the very common challenges they face at school, conflicts with friends, and the everyday stresses of family life. Even as we reply to every child with a personal, nurturing response, we know that they are likely to navigate these kinds of situations well, learn from them, and not suffer serious consequences. But sometimes, not often, but it happens, we hear from children who are in a serious predicament that affects their safety and well-being now and in the future. These are the children who write to us about molestation. We usually like to set the table for our conversations on this podcast by reading kids' letters about the day's subject, but it would be insensitive and unnecessary to read actual letters we've received on this topic. We don't need to hear children's own words to understand how devastating these experiences are to them. Before we continue, I want to give you a heads up. This podcast is for adults. That's especially true of today's episode about child sexual abuse. While we encourage you to talk to your children about boundaries and their bodies, our conversation today is intended for parents, grandparents, other caregivers, educators, not for children. For some of you, it may be an uncomfortable conversation. For all of us, it is a critically important conversation. If you feel that listening to this episode will be a trigger for you or will otherwise be too difficult, Know that you can also find print resources on this topic at RAIN.org. That's RAIN, spelled R A I N N. RAIN.org. My guest today is Jessica Leslie, Director for the National Sexual Assault Hotline, overseeing all the program's operations, including staffing of the online and telephone hotlines, the Hotline Volunteer Program, and the operations of 30 plus client hotlines. Jessica has focused her career on creating systems and structures to support victims of gender-based violence and sexual abuse. Through her work with Rain, the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization, and the hotline, Leslie and her staff provide a place for people to go when they need someone to talk to and provide them with the tools to help them take the next step toward healing. Oh, I wish with all my heart that a podcast episode on this topic wasn't necessary. But the mail we've seen from kids tells us that it is. Thank you, Jessica, for agreeing to join us and help us better understand this important issue. Let's start with this question: How common is child sexual abuse
1: yeah se- sexual abuse amongst children is more common than people realize, and there are you know there are millions who um are affected by by childhood sexual abuse. Um, part of the challenge is that sexual abuse for uh, minors and kids really goes largely unreported. We estimate about a third um, disclose the, the violence they're experiencing. And so, you know, it's really important to, to keep an eye out for, for the signs of abuse and, and, um, you know, where children may be vulnerable because it is so prevalent. And a lot of times it isn't until someone reaches adulthood where they're able to talk about the abuse that they they experiences as a child. And so it is a lot more common than we think.
0: Is it on the rise or is it decreasing?
1: You know, again, it's it's hard to tell because it is such an unreported, um, underreported crime. and um, But what we do know is that more and more folks are feeling like they can speak out about the violence that they've experienced. You know, we've seen, especially since the Me Too movement, that... Um, Individuals who experienced um, either violent rec- violence recently or violence as children are able to come out and, and feel comfortable speaking out about about the violence they experience. So definitely, you know, we're definitely hearing more about it and, and folks are disclosing a lot more. And, you know, as much as we can to create a safe space, for instance, on the hotline, we have um, avenues for, for individuals to reach out, whether um, children or, or adults who may have experienced violence with children, to reach out to us and, and talk through their, their experiences.
0: Well, I think many of our listeners will be surprised to hear um, some of those statistics. And even though it is extremely uncomfortable to talk about this, it's so important that we do. We still have work to do in this arena, most certainly. Most of us know that we should talk to our kids about boundaries around their bodies. But beyond that, grown-ups might be more unsure about what to say and not to say to kids. What do you advise?
1: yeah absolutely you know it it is a difficult um issue to to talk about. um i too am a am the mother of of three three little girls who you know it's it's something that we we have to raise as as parents and um the way that that um has been most effective we've seen is to talk about um different parts of of your body, talking about you know their their own body, that they're uh, modeling consent as well of letting them know that they have a choice in how and when they are touched, whether it's on their shoulder or on the arm, um, letting them know you know what areas are private and and what the names of those body parts are. So those are really helpful in. And um, for kids to understand what those boundaries are, what's appropriate, what's not, um, you know, we when we talk to children about sexual abuse, um, for those who have experienced it, we don't use, um, you know, we used to use in the in the field um, bad and good touching. We don't use those terms anymore because mm. the sensation that kid, you know, anyone feels is can feel good even though it may be bad. And that can be very confusing for kids, so what we've we've started to use is safe and unsafe um touching and what is safe and what is unsafe and so those are really important um, being aware of that terminology because good and bad is is uh, as adults is something that we often go to so making sure that we're differentiating between good and bad and and looking at safe and unsafe what is safe touching what is unsafe touching um, and so those are some of the things that you know really help prepare kids at least to know in a situation what may be okay and what may May not be OK, because perpetrators are very skilled in um, working with, you know, in, 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 in trying to, um, when when they perpetrate violence, they know um, how to gain the trust of kids. And so making sure that the kids themselves can recognize when something is wrong, um, when something is unsafe, that that is the best way to prepare, prepare our kids.
0: Thank you for um, telling us about the updated preferred language. I think the listeners who are grandparents will find that useful because we were all taught to use good touch, bad touch uh, when talking to kids about this. And yeah, that's an interesting point, an important point. Thank you. Uh, and then you also need to talk to kids about um, keeping secrets. Yes. Is that part of the conversation? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Because um, that, is, that is a tactic that, uh, perpetrators of um, child sexual abuse will use is keeping this secret, and you know talking to to kids about um, being able to share. You know, secrets don't have to be kept if they don't feel okay. And if someone is asking you to keep a secret, then you know working and talking with your kids about why why you should or why you shouldn't keep that. Is it because it's going to um, help someone not get hurt? Or is it for other reasons? And if it's for reasons that are difficult to explain, it may, you know, these are these are things that we probably want to talk about. Um, so yeah, keeping secrets is a big sign. If, if, um, if a child is, is saying to you that someone has asked me to keep, an adult has asked me to keep this secret, then that is a, a big red flag to, to be aware of because that is a, a tactic that, that perpetrators of child sexual abuse do use.
0: What can a grown-up do to be a person that the children in their life would feel safe talking to about sexual abuse or about any situation that made them uncomfortable?
1: Absolutely. Um, a lot of times, you know, kids are in it, are looking for someone they they can trust and who will listen to them. And so, you know, being someone who will just listen to them and won't um, judge or or um, you know, get them in trouble. Kids are always worried about getting in trouble. That they know that they can just come to you to talk about things, and that they can express it in the way that they feel most comfortable is um, is really important. It's also really important to be patient because. You know, anyone who's experienced any form of sexual abuse, it will take time for the information to fully come out if they feel like you're someone they can trust. Um, at times, they will test parts of the story, um, their story with you to see how you react and see if they you are someone they can trust. And so really being patient and taking the time to listen. Um, I think modeling consent as well is really important. So, you know, a lot of times when we're saying goodbye to our kids when they go to school, it's, you know, asking them, hey, can I have a hug? Is that okay with you? Or would you prefer, you know, kiss on the cheek or a high five? Or are you just okay today just to give me a thumbs up and say, you know, have a good day? So really modeling that with them and making sure that they're part of the process and they know that they have... um, authority over what happens with their body and, um, and that they can, you can model that with them is really important.
0: Thank you. So you've said that more kids than not won't tell an adult. What nonverbal signs can we look for in the kids in our lives? Uh, Signs that might indicate that
1: something's not right. Yeah, that's a really great question. You know, every kid is different, which is what makes um, just standard signs really difficult. But what you can um, look for are just things that are out of the ordinary for a child. If a kid is very vocal and chatty and they become quiet and stop talking and um, that is a sign that something, you know, may be wrong. If they... um, have reactions, adverse reactions to being touched. That is also something to to look out for. Um, you know, if they start becoming more and more isolated, they may be introverted, but if they really pull in more so than than what is normal for them, then that is something that um, is is another sign. Other signs that we can look at um, that we see across the board are just children knowing more than they should based on their age. about about sexual behavior um, or talking about sexual behavior in ways that they really shouldn't yet know about, um, that is outside of their age group, that is often a sign as well um, to look out for. Um, Children acting out as well on um, dolls and stuffed animals is something else to look out for. Um, And then also things like night terrors, um, having nightmares consistently after, you know, when they don't typically have nightmares. Um, so those are things that, that really to, to look out for. But anytime a, a child deviates from their normal behavior for a set of time that's not a day, because um, everybody has their bad days, including children, um, that is something really to, to be on the lookout for. I sometimes think par- parents have
0: good intuition about these things too. And maybe you don't see some of those signs, but your intuition tells you something's amiss.
1: Absolutely, and parents should absolutely listen to that because they are best positioned to know that something like this may be happening. Um, and it's difficult because most perpetrators are known to the child. And so it is, it's is—it's hard to to, you know, figure out what exactly may be going on without the child telling, telling um, their parents. So that intuition is really something to listen to.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the fact that most perpetrators are known to the family. You know, here it Highlights, uh, we often talk about how kids benefit from having many caring grown ups in their lives. We encourage that. Uh, But at the same time, as you say, abuse sometimes occurs with someone the family has trusted in for a long time. How can we be aware and careful about the risks while still encouraging healthy connection with others?
1: Yes, you know, that's a really important question because we as parents really want that village around our children and our children benefit from having that village around them. So, you know this comes back down to what we were discussing earlier which is really helping a child feel prepared to understand when uh, a situation may be unsafe and helping them understand what is you know their body what is private um what is personal to them and so that they can then come to you know a trusted adult to say hey this this happened to me this did not feel right um, and that that can be disclosed um, at the very early stage when uh, a perpetrator is trying to gain their trust. Um, so that um, that is definitely something to be on the lookout for. Um, you know, and then just times where children really shouldn't be alone with certain adults, you know, something that just seems out of the norm is also things that to be on the lookout for. But but equipping that child to to best be prepared um, on how to handle that situation is is one of the best ways we know how to address that. Yeah,
0: thank you. That's just a really tricky thing. It really is. Because lots of well-meaning people are interested in having close relationships with your children. Uh, and we need that, but we do have to be aware, stay aware. Yes. So what should we be asking our child's school, daycare, or camp uh, to make sure that these institutions are making and enforcing good policies that protect children from sexual violence?
1: Yeah, I. you know, one of the first things that... Um we should be asking of our schools and camps are around background checks um, and extensive background checks because um, we know that perpetrators go from state to state and a lot of these databases are state-based. So uh, making sure that they are doing as extensive background checks as they possibly can and, and going into those, those personal um, records and, and um, just anything that may in their background indicate some some uh, risk there, um, making sure too that there are um, safeguards around how folks who are strangers or or non-parents or really even parents how how folks adults are entering into either a school campus. Or a campground, and how they they are regulating that back and forth, because those are areas that we do know perpetrators will go to to try to gain gain trust. Um, you know, part of the challenges is that we we still need laws, more laws on on how to regulate some of some of these things, and so just making sure that um, the schools are doing and and the camps are doing what they can to to make sure that. Where their kids are going, you know that the kids can't leave very easily as well, um that those those places are secure um, and and uh, we can ensure that perpetrators are just you know even if they do get in because you never know who a perpetrator is, um that you know their their movements are being tracked and watched.
0: Well, we've mostly been talking about how to prevent abuse, and certainly that's important, and that's often what parents want to talk about when we, when this topic comes up, but for many kids, including the kids who've written the highlights about this topic, um, the abuse has already occurred. What can parents and other caring adults do to help these
1: kids? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, the, the first thing is, is really being someone that they can go to, to disclose what happened to them. Um, without the child feeling like they have to protect the parent. So you know a lot of times you know of course it's very difficult to hear, um, but the first um, the first reaction should really also not be around well why were you there? what were you doing because those lead to the child and really any any victim of, of sexual violence to feel like, they may have played a part and may be to blame for what happened to them. So making sure that they understand that we are there for them, that it was not their fault by any means, it would never be considered their fault. Um, and and that we believe them because I think too, a lot of children are worried about getting in trouble, not um, being believed. And so that's really the first step. You know, from there, it really is about being patient and um, getting back to uh, building resilience um, for for those kids and so establishing a good routine that they feel safe in. Um, Seeking out therapy if that uh, feels like the right next step, Uh, making sure that um, you're engaging in activities that really calm their nervous system down, um, and and making sure that you know you're you're just really taking taking uh, cues from 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 them as to what they feel comfortable moving into and what they don't, um, and just being patient with them because it is it is a long process, and we know that unresolved um, trauma in childhood has really long lasting effects throughout. Someone's life. And so the earlier that we can address it and just be there for, for that child in whatever um, pace that they're, they're ready to take on that, that that's really critical to recovery.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Parents will be a lifeline for those kids. And um, thank you for sharing some of the concrete things they can do to um, bring some joy back into the lives of their kids, some light, yeah. Jess, at Highlights, we believe that children are the world's most important people. That's our core belief. To close, I'd like to ask you the same question we ask all our guests. If we truly want to show up as a society that values children, what would we do differently to help protect them? And you may have addressed this a little bit in some of your other answers, but is there anything else
1: that you know you think we should be doing as a society? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. And I love that you asked that. Um, You know, again, as a parent, kids are some of the most creative and thoughtful people that we have. Um, And, and they, they're not burdened by a lot of the things that we, you know, feel nervous about. And, and, you know, they, they really see the world in a, a, a very different light. And I think that, what we can do to to protect better protect them is is to help and and continue to give them the tools to explore and and grow in ways that um, you know and, and foster their interests and in those ways because they're, yeah there there's so much and you know we get nervous and I know that in in the work that that I do the the nervousness around. Could this, you know, adult? Could they, could they be at risk for sexual violence? You know that that really is something that I know I think about quite a bit. And so, making sure that they have the tools to um, stand up for themselves and stand up for what they they believe to be true and what they believe to be right and what they believe to be safe is uh, is really important. So as much as we can empower them, because um, You know, one thing we have seen over the course uh, since COVID is um, more um, minors coming to the hotline than ever before. And it's because they're so savvy in finding the tools that they need. And so I think helping to foster that will help um, them ensure that they get the protection that they deserve um, in any space, whether it's sexual violence or otherwise.
0: Thank you. In case there's a listener today
1: who needs to hear it, will you please give your hotline number here? Yes, absolutely. So we have both an online and a telephone hotline. And the online hotline, if you go to www.rain.org, um, you will you will find the hotline as well as um, in Spanish www.rain.org backslash es. Um, The hotline number is 1-800-656-HOPE, and that will also give you the option to um, call in both English and Spanish. Thank you so much.
0: We are honored to be able to elevate kids' voices and imagine a world where grown-ups take seriously kids' concerns and act on them. Whether a child's concern is big or small, unique or universal, serious or sure to work itself out, it's real to the child and matters deeply. We've come to see that in every letter kids have sent to us over the years, there are implicit, overarching questions embedded within. Do you care? Am I loved? Do I have a place in the world, a place in the lives of the people I love? We hope kids believe us when we say in many more words, yes, yes, yes. Let's all lean in to give kids what they really need and want, more listening, more understanding, and more connecting. This podcast is an extension of the book, Dear Highlights, What Adults Can Learn from 75 Years of Letters and Conversations with Kids, available now wherever books are sold. If you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and please leave a review to help us reach more grown-ups who care about kids. Special thanks to the producer of this podcast, Hillary Bates, and also to our audio engineer, Ted Weckbacher.